All right, open up your Bibles this morning to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. I hope your heart is ready this week to thank God as we go into the Thanksgiving holiday. We've been blessed in many, many different ways. Today, today's sermon, we're breaking away from our normal Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ series that we're going through the life of Christ to just to do a little sermon on Thanksgiving or, or being thankful, thanking God for his inexpressible gift. So today I want us to focus our hearts and our minds on thanking God for his redeeming love. So that's why we're going to be in Psalm 107, and we are going to focus on verses 1 through 32 this morning. Now, as you're finding that passage, this week I, um, I, I met a guy at Trinity's um, Thanksgiving play that she had at her, her preschool this week, and he was a police officer. And we just got to talking about a variety of different things, and, and he was talking to me about how whenever a crime is committed, um, you always have to take into account all the angles from which that crime can be viewed in order to get the full story. And he said when he was in police academy, they would have them watch a video of a, of a reenacted crime, and they would stop the video right there and say, okay, what happened? And all the guys in the room said, well, this is what happened. And then they would change the angle completely. So it was the same scenario, but now shot from a different angle. And they'd play that angle, and they would realize, oh, wait, what we thought we saw happen actually didn't happen. Okay, it looked like this, but now I see this. And then they would do it from, from four different angles until they got a full picture of what happened. And that was the whole point was that they were training these police officers, especially when you're interviewing witnesses, to get more than one witness. You need to see the crime from all the different angles. You need to get the full picture in order to really know what happened. So as we come to Psalm 107 this morning, we have four angles on our redemption this morning that the psalmist gives us. Four portraits to help us grow in our thanksgiving. Four word pictures to, to show us more fully what God has indeed done for us. For those who are redeemed of the Lord. To show us more fully the fathomless love that he has shown and poured out upon us. For those of us who are the redeemed of the Lord. So this psalm that we're going to read here in a second has an introduction, verses 1 through 3. And then there's those four portraits or angles or pictures, however you want to word it, that I just mentioned. And those are in verses 5 through 32. And then there's a conclusion to the psalm, verses 33 through 43, which we're not going to have time to look at in detail today. We're going to look mainly at these four portraits. And each one of these four portraits are clearly broken into four parts. So there's four parts to each portrait. And so as we're reading the psalm here in a second, I want you to listen for these parts. First of all, there's a, a predicament or a plight. And I'm trying to use P's here. There's a predicament. Uh, then there's a plea that the person makes. Then there's pardon offered by the Lord. And then there's praise. Praise and how the person that's redeemed responds with praise. So predicament, plea, pardon, and praise. So let's stand now as we get ready to read Psalm 107. We do not know the author of this psalm. Many of the psalms are labeled, so we know it's either David or Asaph or someone else. But we, we do not know the author of this psalm, nor do, we, nor do we know the historical context, exactly when this psalm was written. But it is in the Word of God, and it is the Word of God. So we stand because we believe this is God speaking to us. So Psalm 107, beginning in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. 
for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze And he cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. And they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. And delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. And were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For the wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people. And praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. I thank you for the Psalms. Such beautiful words. So artistically laid out. So helpful for us. As we go through life and we struggle to comprehend how it is that you're working in our, in our life. And, and what all it is that you've done for us. And, and how are we to cling to your promises. And we see just raw emotion poured out in the Psalms, and it helps us. And so, God, we thank you for the Psalms. But, God, we cannot interpret your word correctly apart from the Holy Spirit. So we ask, Lord, that the Spirit this morning would give us ears to hear and give me a mouth to speak. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. Now, as you gather together this week for Thanksgiving... I hope that from today's message that a truer and deeper meaning of thanksgiving will will surface in each one of our hearts. 
I believe that only true and deep thanksgiving can come to those who have been redeemed. And only those who, who have been redeemed can truly understand what it means to be thankful. And that's what we have here in this psalm this morning. In this psalm, we have God's people thanking him for his redeeming love. Four pictures of that redeeming love. So I'm going to go through this psalm rather quickly, um, but hopefully you can get a picture of God's redeeming love from this psalm, four angles of it, and praise him for what he has done for you if you are a believer here this morning. So first of all, I want us to thank God for his redeeming love. And the very first point, your first blank is simply this. Let us thank God for his redeeming love. The psalm begins with an introduction. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Now, this psalm was written to help God's people appreciate their redemption. Now, for the nation of Israel, it was probably a liturgical song Um, sung for specific worship occasions. The general sense of this psalm is a reminder to God's people, to Israel, of how he had delivered them time and time and time again. And certainly each one of these, these different instances that are mentioned here, the person wandering, the person who's sick, the person who's, who's staggering on a ship that thinks it's going to sink. So it can certainly apply to real life situations. But there's a deeper spiritual significance here. All four of these pictures are word pictures. They're poetic descriptions to drive home a deeper spiritual point to God's people. Every Israelite ultimately knew that redemption, redemption was more than just national and physical deliverance. But that he or she needed to be redeemed from their own sin. And every Israelite knew that the only way God could love them in an unending and steadfast manner was by his grace. They had repeatedly, the nation had repeatedly spurned God and deserved wrath. But God was merciful to them as he always is to his children. And instead of judgment, he gave them grace, he gave them mercy, and he gave them steadfast love. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I love that, that word steadfast love. If you know in the Hebrew, it's the word hesed. But as Sally Lloyd-Jones puts in her, her little children's storybook, the, the, the Jesus storybook Bible. I don't know how many of you all have that little Bible for children. I love the way she describes steadfast love. She says it's the, the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And it's all throughout the book. She'll, she repeats that phrase. And so my kids, as we've read that Bible together... When we get to that point, the never stopping, never giving up, they almost start just repeating it after me. Never giving up, always and forever, unbreaking, always and forever love. It is the Hebrew word hesed. It means a deep, loyal, undying love based upon a covenant relationship. It is grace. It is a love reserved only for those upon whom God has chosen to pour out his grace. It is therefore a redeeming love. This steadfast love is a redeeming love. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. You probably also know that the word redeemed means that a recompense has been paid, a price has been paid. Redeemed people are a purchased people. Purchased by blood, ultimately purchased by the blood of Jesus. The one to whom all of Israel looked forward to in faith, and the same one to whom we look back at in faith. 
Now, Romans 3.24 teaches us that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And Hebrews 9.12 says that he, meaning Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let us be a people of thanksgiving. It should be that way. If you are a redeemed sinner this morning, you should be a person who knows how to truly give thanks to God for your redemption. All of God's redeemed people are to praise him. According to verse 3, all of God's people are those gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Now historically, Israel had enemies on all sides. And they had to be delivered from enemies on all sides. From Babylon to the east, to Philistia on the west, Assyria to the north, and Egypt to the south. And there's no doubt that God had delivered his people from all those enemies. But the image here is more than just God delivering Israel from regional enemies. But of a global ingathering of God's people. It's this very psalm that Jesus was referring to last week in the passage we studied where Jesus is Declaring the Roman centurion to be part of his kingdom. In Matthew 8, verse 11, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. All throughout God's word, including all throughout the Old Testament, we see a a global purpose of God. A desire to gather all his people in from all the lands, in verse 3. Every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. You and I then can sing this psalm. If you're a Christian here this morning... You've been redeemed, and you can be truly thankful. So let us be thankful for his redeeming love. And so now I want to talk about the four portraits of his redeeming love, or four pictures, or four angles, however you want to word it. And the first thing is, it's a redeeming love that brings us home. It's a redeeming love that brings us home. The first predicament that we see here in this first angle on God's redeeming love is that of lost sinners being found. Verse 4, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Certainly this brought to mind um, to, to, to the hearers here, the Israelite hearers of their forefathers. It brought to mind their forefathers who wandered in the desert wilderness due to their own sin. And certainly the average Israelite hearing these words could identify with the dangers of getting lost in the desert. Now, now who here can't identify with being lost at some point in your life? I know, men, you don't want to ever admit you've been lost, but you have been lost at some point in your life, right? Physically, I'm not talking about spiritually lost. We've all were there. Okay, but, but I think probably you can even identify to a moment. Carrie, you're shaking your head. No, you have been lost, brother. I know you have at some point in your life. Don't be stubborn. Don't resist the Lord here this morning, Carrie. All right. But maybe as a child, did you ever have the experience? I remember one time I was in a mall. And got separated from my parents when I was a kid. Have you ever had that happen when you were a kid? Now, it wasn't very long. It felt like an eternity. I think it was only a couple of minutes. It was my fault. I stopped at a window and started looking at something while my family walked around the corner. And I turned around. They weren't there. And I began to freak out. And it's just this terrifying experience to be lost. But more than a physical lostness here, the psalmist is using this word picture, this poetic language, to help us see the plight of all men who are apart from God. For all men are born lost. It's the universal state of all humans who come into the world. All mankind is born wandering in a thousand directions other than the right one. And they are blind to the truth, to the right direction. And that's the predicament. 
That's the predicament. When a man's eyes are open to this predicament, he inevitably cries out to God in a desperate plea. Just like when I was a kid and, and my parents turned that corner and I didn't see them anymore. Once I, I stopped looking at whatever it was I was looking at in the window and I turned around and they weren't there, once I realized my predicament, I began to cry out. I wanted to know where my parents were. And so too here in this This word picture here, we see once that the person realizes that he or she is lost, there is a plea, there is a desperate cry. This is the plea heard in all four of the portraits of redemption in this psalm today. It's the same plea repeated over and over again, repeated four times. And here it is in verse 6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Redeemed men, if you've been redeemed here this morning, you know the only thing you could do once you realize your lostness was to cry out to God. You could not feel your way out of your lostness. You could not work your way out of your lostness. You could not reason your way out of your lostness. The man who experiences true redemption finds nothing in himself to rectify his plight, to remedy his predicament. The redeemed man is the man who realizes that all he has left to do is simply to cry. That's the man that's been redeemed. And he realizes the only thing I have left is to cry out to God. That's that spiritual poverty that Jesus speaks of at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So how about you this morning? Are you here this morning refusing to see your lostness? Or are you crying out? Are you crying out to the one God sent to find sinners? For the scriptures indeed teach us in Luke 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And despite our predicament and in response to our plea, he offers pardon. He delivered them from their distresses, is what we read. He delivered them from their distresses. Oh, the the relief of being delivered. When you cry out to God and you receive that pardon, oh, the relief, the thanksgiving that should flow out of us. I remember as a child, us driving, I think I've mentioned to you before in a previous sermon just recently, that every year we would go down to the coast. We would leave Quito, go down to the mountain roads and go to the coast and meet with all the other missionaries at the end of the year. And at a, at a very special retreat that we all greatly enjoyed. Well, I remember one year in particular, a very thick fog had settled in on the mountains. And we're driving down that road. And I remember, I told you in Ecuador, if you would have asked, where are the guardrails? They would have said, what are guardrails? Okay, so there's no guardrails. And there are plenty of places to take the wrong little path that goes on, on, onto another, either up a mountain or down a mountain. And so we're sitting here driving. It was so thick, we couldn't see anything. And I remember my dad pulling over at a little village that we just, it's one of these little villages on the side of the road. You don't, you can't even see it coming until you're right up on it, especially in that fog. And we pull over there in the midst of all that thickness and that fog. And I remember dad going into a, to a little um, uh, store there. And we're just all sitting there, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this lostness, this, this thick fog that we are trapped in? And he came back out and he says, I found someone to help us. And it was a big old guy, and he got in his big old truck. It was a trucker. And he could see better because of his vantage point in that truck. And he had all these lights that he could put on that we couldn't put on. And so he gets in that big old truck, and he said, you just look at my taillights and stay on me the whole time. And so for the rest of that drive, and it took a while to get down that mountain, that's all my dad did. He stayed right behind that truck and wanted to see those taillights. If he got too far away from him, those taillights began to disappear. 
and how thankful we were when we got to the bottom of that mountain and we thanked that guy and gave him a big old hug and, and appreciated all he had done to help deliver us from our lostness. There should be this overwhelming gratitude that flows out of people who have truly been redeemed. And here's what he did for us. Verse 7. He led them by the straight way. Yes, he led them by the straight way. The redeemed person is the one who believes in, who, who, who knows Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. But the man who has been redeemed, okay, he knows that this road, this path is a hard road. It is a narrow road, as we discussed in Matthew 7, verse 14, just a few weeks ago. But it's a way, it's a road on which God has placed us and in which God will lead us. God leads us home. So we have in verse 7, it says that he led them by the straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. God is leading us down this road. So we say, yes, the road is narrow, the road is hard, but guess what? The psalmist teaches us God is going to lead us down that road. Just like that Mack truck led my family down that windy, dangerous road, so too the redeemed man is thankful because God is leading him down this hard and difficult road. Till they reached a city to dwell in. Oh yes, friends, we have been redeemed. We were once homeless, but now we have, been, we have put our faith in God and thus we have a new city. We have a new city. Hebrews 11.9 speaks of a new city. In this passage here, it's speaking of Abraham's faith. It says in verse 9 of Hebrews 11, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What that's teaching us is that Abraham was looking to more than just a physical presence in a promised land. He was looking for a heavenly city that was to come. Even Abraham was looking forward to something greater than inheriting a, a block of land in the Middle East. He was looking forward to a heavenly city. Redeemed people know that we are made to be with our God and live with him forever and him to live with us forever in a heavenly city. That's what we're on the road toward. That's what we're excited about. That's what you should be thankful for when you sit down on Thursday and about to consume a bunch of turkey. Thank you, Lord, that you are taking me to a new city. And you know what? You're taking me to a better banquet. Verse 8, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. That exact phrase is repeated four times, once in each one of the portraits. And then verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. As you're filling your belly with good things on Thursday, praise God that the redeemed he is going to fill with much better things. He's satisfying us with better things. We've been brought into a new city, a new home, to a new family, to a table that is full for our God through his son Jesus does indeed satisfy the hungry soul. For while we are on this hard road of faith, we are nourished by Christ himself. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus himself is our sustenance. So as you gather in a bit here, we, we partake of, the, of this fruit of the vine and of this bread. It's to point to Jesus who is our ultimate sustenance. He is the one that satisfies us. And then the Bible teaches us that we, when we finally reach our new home, our new city, the new Jerusalem, 
Guess what? We will be satisfied and protected for all eternity. Revelation 7, 16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, how our God delights to find lost sinners. It'll be a great day of feasting and rejoicing when all the lost sheep are are gathered before that throne. Sheep who were once dead but are now alive. Sheep who were once lost but are now found. As Jesus shows us in Luke 15. Does that not make you thankful? Does that not make you thankful? When we go to the table this week and enjoy our family and friends, let us first of all be thankful for his redeeming love that brings us home, but also let us be thankful for his redeeming love that sets us free. His redeeming love that sets us free. So we come now to the second portrait of redeeming love in verse 10. It says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction in irons. The Israelites knew all too much what slavery and prison were all about. Their forefathers had lived for hundreds of years as slaves in Egypt before being delivered. And off and on throughout their rebellious history, they had been subjugated to slavery and even carried off as captives. They could certainly relate to the psalmist's word picture here that was being painted. But one does not need to be in a physical dungeon with physical bars of iron to hear the psalmist this morning. For the scripture teaches us that all men... All men are not only born lost, but all men are born into slavery, are born into the slavery of sin. Some sat in darkness, verse 10, and in the shadow of death. That slavery to sin leads to death. Indeed, all men were born into the shadow of death. For we read in Romans 5, 21, that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then we read in in Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is our own sin that put us into shackles, that put us behind iron bars. That's why in verse 11 it says, For they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. We are born rebels, committing treason against the high, holy king of the universe. We were born insurrectionists, spurning and hating God's word. For he has spoken to us through nature and through our consciences, whereby we are left with no excuse. And more than that, he has given to us his word, the scriptures. And the wages of our rebellion, the wages of our insurrection, the due penalty for ignoring his word is death. For the psalmist says in verse 12, so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. That's the predicament. The predicament that all men are born into. So again, we see the same plea in verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in, all their, tr- in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Again, there's nothing more to do. When you discover you are in slavery, there is nothing more to do than to simply cry out. For what can you possibly do to break the bars of iron in your own heart? What can you possibly do to rid yourself of your sinful chains? Man is helpless and can only cry out. And only the man who sees his helplessness, who sees his imprisonment, that sees his predicament, only that man can turn to God alone in faith. And God delights to deliver that man from his sin. So again, we see the pardon. Verse 14. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. This indeed is what he has done for his children, for his people, for his elect. 
He has brought them out of darkness, out of the shadow of death, and he has set us free through Jesus Christ. For he took the punishment of our sin upon his own shoulders, the wrath of God that we deserve, and in doing so he broke the shackles of all who call upon him, all who cry out to him. This is true freedom. John 8.36 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I read an article this week of the top ten jailbreaks in history. It's fascinating to see how people have broken out of some of the, the most maximum security prisons in, in the world. And one of them being Alcatraz. And because they don't know if these guys survived, but there was one group of guys that were able to break out of what was supposed to be the most secure prison in the world at that time. And you read these and you read these astounding stories of these jailbreaks and, and you're kind of just amazed at the ingenuity of these guys. But you know what? What Jesus did for us is a much more glorious jailbreak. Our predicament was slavery. Our plea was heard. Pardon was granted. And so we praise him with thanksgiving for the amazing jailbreak that Jesus accomplished in the heart of his redeemed. Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. If you're not a believer here this morning... You need to see how dire your predicament is. You are locked away in a maximum security prison with no chance of parole, no chance to lighten your sentence due to good behavior, and worse still, you are on death row waiting for your number to be called any minute. I beg you this morning to cry out to the one who can break you out, the only one who can break you out. But if you're a Christian here this morning, oh, how thankful you should be. We should be so thankful for our freedom. Romans 6, 17 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Thanks be to God. So as you sit down this week at Thanksgiving, I want you to thank him that you're free, that you have been set free from the shackles of sin. What redeeming love, redeeming love that brings us home Redeeming love that sets us free and redeeming love that makes us whole. Redeeming love that makes us whole. Let's look at the next picture here the psalmist paints for us. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. The word affliction there is is like disease. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. The predicament here is sickness and affliction due to sin. In the ancient world at the time, obviously, when this psalm was written, sickness and death were far more common than they are in our day. But even in our day, we can identify with with sickness that brings someone to 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 the door of death. It says here they loathed any kind of food as they drew near to the gates of death. How many of you guys have experienced where you, you, you've been at someone's bedside as they've passed away? And one of the last signs that they're going is that they don't want food anymore. Remember, they loathe food. You're trying to convince them, no, you've got to eat, come on. And they, they just they can't, they can't stomach it. They loathe the food. And that's what's happening here. Death is beginning to consume the person. And that is a predicament that all men are born into again. We're all born sick. Not only are we born lost and born enslaved, we are born ill. We are born sick with sin. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. This represents the utter stupidity of men. Men are lovers of self, thus they sin for themselves. But sin it ultimately ends up destroying them. It's utter foolishness, like, like the meth addict. 
okay, who loves the high, all the while his body and his mind are being eaten away. Man loves the high of sin, even though it is slowly killing him. And that's the plight and the predicament that all men are born into. Jeremiah 17, 9 teaches us that the human heart is desperately sick. We must be redeemed from such foolishness, from such self-destructiveness. We are hapless in our sinful stupidity. We must see that we need to be healed. And so we must again plead, just like before, verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distresses. Oh, how we simply need to cry out in faith, just as we cannot find a new city by our own merits or break free from prison by our own efforts, so too we cannot heal ourselves. We need a divine healer, and God provided that healer, who is Jesus Christ, the great physician. And we must cry out to him, Mark 8, 17. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases, both physical and spiritual. And one day the redeemed will be given new bodies that are no longer subject to sickness and to pain. But in order to inherit such bodies, we must first be spiritually healed. So the son came and he bore our infirmities. He bore the sin that infects every single person's soul. And how does he heal? He heals through his word. Verse 20. He sent out his word and he healed them. and He delivered them from their destruction. There is pardon in the gospel word. He sent out his word. His word is the scriptures. We know the scriptures heal. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 25 says, My soul clings to dust. Give me life according to your word. Psalm 119 28, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. The Spirit gives life through the Word, and Christ himself is the final Word sent to redeem sick sinners like you and me. Jesus says in in Mark 2, 17, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So let us rejoice this morning in our healing. Let us, like, like those doctors that have come back to America after they had Ebola, and you see, when they, when they declare that they're free of Ebola and they always have a press conference, there's the press. They declare they're free from Ebola and they come out of the hospital and everyone's clapping their hands and cheering. And, and the person comes up to the podium and says, hey, I just want to, what, thank all these doctors and all the, they are so thankful that they've been set free from this disease called Ebola. How much more should we be thankful that we've been set free from the disease of sin? So let us rejoice and thank God, verse 21. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Yes, Christian, we are, we are to sing. We are to sing songs because we are singing that we've been healed. We are singing about his great healing. We were sick, but now we're healed. We were infected, but now we're cured. We were destined for the grave, but now we, we, we are destined for glory. So we are to sing. So sing, Christian, sing. Sing of his redeeming love that brought us home. Sing of his redeeming love that has set us free. Sing of his redeeming love that makes us whole. And sing of his redeeming love that gives us peace. The final predicament pictured here is simply the predicament of trouble. Troubles that inevitably come into life. And so the psalmist takes us on board a ship. An average merchant vessel. Very common to the people of ancient Israel. Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. So just an average day of work. These, 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 these merchants have gone out to do 
um, their average day of work, they're living in, they're even enjoying God's provision and enjoying the works of God. And then we read in verse 25, For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lift up the waves of the sea. Notice the nature of the storms here. He commanded them. The storm has come from God. God is sovereign. And we must see that no storm arrives, comes up, not, not even no physical storm, nor a storm come into the life of a believer or an unbeliever without God's providential permission and God's sovereign hand guiding it. Have you ever been on a boat in the middle of a storm? Anybody? Maybe a few of you. I've been on one once, okay? I don't ever want to do it again. It was when we were going to the Galapagos Islands when I was in high school, and we were, all the trip had been great and smooth, up to, but except one day we had a storm roll in, and I'll never forget it. We had waves popping up over the side of it, and it was a big boat, and waves popping up over the side of the boat, and I, I didn't have any problem with seasickness. Other people got seasick the moment the boat kind of gets away from the dock and they're throwing up. For me, that wasn't the case until I hit that storm. And that storm had us rocking back and forth so hard, everybody was sick. And it was a horrible experience. And quite frankly, it was scary. Especially when water's lapping up over the side of the boat and coming into the boat. You're wondering, "Uh uh-oh, is something more serious going to happen here? And though certainly some who were hearing the psalmist could identify firsthand with with the physical experience of being on a boat in a storm, everyone, all could identify with feeling like you're on a boat in a storm during the ups and downs of life. Ups and downs. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. You see the, the word here that the psalmist paints of the boat going up and down in the water. Up and down, leaving us torn up, ex- anxious, revealing the uselessness of our own plans and our own solution. It says that their, their courage melted away in their evil plight. The storms knocking us off of our routine, knocking us off of our feet, leaving us hopeless and helpless. It says in verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. The man who puts hope in himself will go down with the ship. No life preserver of his own making will suffice. So once again, the only hope for man is to see his predicament and cry out that same plea. Verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. And once again, our Lord's pardon comes to those who plea who cry to him in faith. It says in verse 29, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Does not this, doesn't this remind you of our Lord crossing the sea with the disciples and how the fear that they show when the wind and the rain came and that storm came? And, and in Mark 4, 39, He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And Jesus demonstrated his lordship over nature. Surely they learned on that day that not only does our Lord, Jesus, rule the storms of the universe, so too he rules in our life and in the souls of men. And how we need peace. Peace that only Christ can give. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And then in John 16, 33. I have said these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Oh, you in this room today who have been redeemed, you have been given great peace. Though the storms may rage, storms that come because of our own remaining sinfulness, storms that may come because of persecution, though the storms may rage, you are secure. How should you respond to to, to such peace? 
You should respond with gratitude and praise. Verse 31, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the peoples and praise him in the assembly of the elders. We are to extol him in the congregation, praise him in the assembly. That means we are to encourage one another, build up one another with this great news of peace. The challenges of life are designed so that you might build others up as they go through their challenges of life. Let us praise God to one another. Let us exalt God to one another. Let us proclaim his lordship to one another. And that's why I read earlier in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks to God for his redeeming love that has brought us home. Thanks to God for his redeeming love that has set us free. Thanks to God for his redeeming love that has made us whole. And thanks to God for his redeeming love that gives us peace. And the psalmist concludes this Psalm 107 with verses 33 through 34 verses we don't have time to look at this morning. But I want to go down to the very last verse, verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So the whole focus of the psalmist has been on grace. The steadfast love of the Lord. So let us be wise, let us consider, let us meditate upon the steadfast, redeeming love of our Lord. And so to the unbeliever here this morning, you are homeless, your soul looking for a place where you can find rest. You are helpless, your soul imprisoned by the sinful nature you were born with. You are hapless, your soul sick on the foolishness of your own sin. And you are hopeless, your soul looking for a rescue from the storms of life. There's only one place you can turn. You must cry out. Cry out to the Lord in your trouble, and he will deliver you from your distress. Cry out in faith, putting no hope in yourself and all your hope in God to redeem you. And he redeems his people through the finished work of Jesus Christ, his son. His son who stood in the place of sinners like you and me. For Jesus wandered into the wilderness on our behalf. Jesus went down to the prison of death on our behalf. Jesus took our infirmities upon himself on our behalf. Jesus came into the storm and went down with the ship on our behalf. But glory be to God that the wilderness could not lead him astray. Glory be to God that the bars of the grave could not hold him. Glory be to God that the disease of sin had no effect on him for he had no sin. Glory be to God that the storms could not stop him for our sinless Savior died and he rose again, dying our death, performing our resurrection, taking our wrath and giving us new life. Come, cry out to him and you will be delivered. But to the believer this morning, let's let those four pictures of our redemption cause us to meditate upon what we have been redeemed from. And let us go to Thanksgiving this week, thanking God for his redemption, for his steadfast love. Let us, as 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And so let us, as 2 Corinthians 9.15 teaches us, give thanks to God for his inexpressible gift. And so now let us thank him at the table. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you. I hope we all meant that song that we sang earlier, Jesus, thank you.
And so now we come to the table. This glorious institution, this glorious ordinance that you gave your people to carry out. That pictures what you accomplished for us at the cross. That pictures for us what redeeming love truly is. For all who heard the psalmist sing that psalm for the very first time, no matter when it happened in Israel's history, all of them knew, or at least all of them should have known, that the blood of bulls and goats was never sufficient to redeem them of their sins. They needed better blood, sinless blood. And that's the blood represented in the cup. So, Father, we come to you thanking you for that. As we taste this grape juice this morning, let that sweet taste transform into sweet thanksgiving. And this one who shed his blood also gave his body to be broken. And as the Israelites wandered through through the wilderness and were given manna each and every day, and Moses taught them that God didn't give you this manna for just any old reason, but he wanted to teach you to feed on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, to put your hope and your faith in God to be your sustenance, your deliverer for your life. There's no life without bread. Bread was symbolic of life. So, Father, we thank you for that. So as we come and we eat this bread, we are thankful that we have life through Christ That he is our ultimate bread. And we want to learn to live by every word that comes from his mouth. Let this truly be a time of thanksgiving and remembrance. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.